Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals. I'm Randall Carlisle. This is Rachel Santizo. Our special guest today is Dr. Dean Mayer, and we'll get to him in just a second. This is one of the most watched podcasts about addiction and recovery. We always do analytics, and we try to talk a little off the top of the podcast. Um, last week, we talked about the various countries where people are watching us. Uh, we have some numbers on uh, the, our most recent podcast as to where it's the most watched in Utah. Take a guess. Um, Any city in Utah. Uh, Vernal. Well, that's a good <laughs> guess, but wrong. Give me... I'm going to just say Salt Lake City. That's a good guess as well. And why this is the answer, I don't know. It's Grantsville. Really? In Tooele County. I I mean, welcome Grantsville. That's fantastic. That makes me happy. And it could just be that whoever we had on the podcast had relatives in Grantsville. It's true. It's true. And then the second most uh, uh, watched for last week's podcast was Harriman. Ooh, Great. That is a wide good. north I, I, and south. It's, it's weird, you know. I, I don't know. I'm I'm glad about that. I think it's Grant's a Randall Carlisle popularity yeah, right. thing. <laughs> and, and the week before, we were talking about that the most the the most watched cities and, or listened to cities in America were Des Moines number one and Columbus, Ohio number two, wow. and then cities in in Utah. It's, it's, it's so that's strange. If anybody could figure that out, I, yeah. you know, maybe we could set yeah. up. Yeah, maybe we could set up Odyssey houses in Des Moines. Columbus seems to be very consistent in that, terms of a, a lot of. I, maybe because I went to school there. That could. And be I was fine. a bartender there. That's <laughs> when my that right? true alcoholism really started. <laughs> we should so. go find out. Well, I, I have my roots in the Midwest, so you know. Dean Mayer, Dr. Dr. Mayer, is a medical director at Riverton Hospital, and he, we are happy to say, is the chief medical officer at Odyssey House. We're so glad to have you. Thanks, uh, Randall. What is that? What, you're, you're, you're not dealing with, you've not dealt with substance use issues yourself, personally. Correct. So yeah. how do you become chief medical officer at a place that, that deals like Odyssey House. Well, we've we've talked about this before, but my my journey started back in 2014 when we were seeing in the hospitals because I work as a hospitalist, which is a general medical doctor that uh, manages patients within the hospital that get admitted through the emergency department. We were seeing this increase in volume of patients that were addicted to um, injectables, methamphetamines, heroin, and they would have bloodborne infections. Um, and so in, they would introduce bacteria into their bloodstream and it would travel and go places like their heart valves, their spine. And it became really um, an interest of mine because we weren't managing their addiction because they stopped using the drugs and they would go into withdrawals, and that would really interfere with our ability to treat their infection, which was, in a lot of ways, very life-threatening. Sure. Um, and so we, as a medical system, uh, caregivers at the bedside, we were really not um, equipped or educated as to how do we manage those withdrawals so we get to their medical treatment and get them, perhaps if they were interested, into addiction counseling and treatment towards sobriety. So. Um, that's what really got me interested because I thought these were patients, people that needed the most care at the time. 
they were the sickest oftentimes, but because they were going through withdrawals and their behavior was such that um, it was uncomfortable to manage them. Um, and it, it reduced morale because they were very aggressive and, and irritable. Sure. Um, we, our teams would see them last when in fact they should see them first. And so um, I took a great interest in that and looked for um, and organized a team of people, including nurses, social workers, infectious disease specialists, psychiatrists, um, so that we could approach this in a team way to treat these people as uh, with respect to their addiction and then their medical needs. And then um, start to collaborate with outpatient programs like Odyssey House that would carry out their treatment because oftentimes they needed prolonged antibiotics, two weeks, 10 weeks, and then sometimes surgical treatment for back uh, infections or heart infections that will, would require even more follow-ups and things. So carrying on that treatment, medical treatment, um, and also getting them addiction treatment if they were willing. It really taught me a lot about uh, medical-assisted treatment with Suboxone um, and Sublocade and Methadone and means of treating, um, for instance, the opioid withdrawals from heroin. Um, methamphetamines are kind of easy because the withdrawal is they sleep for three days and then they wake up and they're okay. But, but that, that addiction still lives sure. with them uh, mentally, uh, mentally sure. absolutely. Um, and so that's how I got uh, introduced to Odyssey House, and I'm really happy about that. So I, you know, every day I learn more about addiction through seeing patients at the clinic when I'm able to and, and really organizing how we manage medical care within the system. I th I'm impressed by the fact uh, that the medical profession is now recognizing uh, Rachel and I are in recovery, recognizing the fact that there's a whole slew of services and needs that people uh, in addiction or recovery need. And I, and I don't think that was addressed a long time ago. No question. I think it's lack of education, lack of experience, lack of patience. It takes a lot of patience. I mean, we see people who, have, who are uh, addicted to alcohol, they have alcoholism, and they come in. Um, oftentimes because they see their eyes or their skin goes yellow because they have liver toxicity. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they get really concerned. Well, as soon as they hit the door, they can't get their alcohol. And so we have to help them through the withdrawals, which is usually 72 hours, plus or minus a few hours. Um, and it's over. But, but again, as you know, and Rachel, the psychological piece to that and the physical piece, <laughs> that continues. Mm -hmm. And so how do you help them through it? It's just not done after they they're done with their withdrawals then you send them out to the community and sure. then what how do you give them how do you work through the uh, stigma that comes along with addictions mm -hmm. these people are very effective people that that are successful and can be really pillars of society um so how do you work through that with them and this is what this is all about. I'm so glad you're looking at that. And, and I, I'd really like to talk about the Martindale Clinic because I think we, uh, I, I'm not sure how many uh, people in the recovery community in, in Utah are pretty much aware of it, but I don't, I'm not sure the general public is really aware 
of how unique and special the Martindale Clinic, and I'm not saying that because I work at Odyssey or because you're the chief medical officer, but it's right. it's a special clinic. Right, and, and I'm learning more and more, recognizing that I started as a chief medical officer of Odyssey House in October, and I have to oversee the whole organization, not just the clinic, but the clinic is special because the focus is really on um, patients or clients, as you will, that have addiction issues and our main population is those that come from our residential houses, which are about eight of them. But we do have outpatient um, facilities here with, within Odyssey that we have a collection of patients that are out there working or going to school and still dealing with their addiction. And so that's a population that, that comes and are, are, are managed. And the, and the thing that I think is important is that there, it, it, there's no judgment past, right. I mean... I remember years ago uh, going to a family doc, and I was a functional alcoholic for decades, and he'd say something like, well, you know, you shouldn't be drinking so much or, or things like that, and it had nothing to do with my liver. It was more of a moral judgment. And exactly. that kind of stuff doesn't happen because, Rachel, and you can relate to this too, mm-hmm. when we're in active addiction, we feel mm-hmm. a lot of shame. Right. 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 Absolutely. You know, you you were living I, under cars I know. on Rio Grande. That's I mean, true. you know, and, and you don't want to walk into a place and have somebody look at you and look down at you and Correct. say, oh, you poor soul. You're really screwed up. Right. You know, and you Correct. don't do that. That's nope. what's. No. And, and again, I think I think that's important that that's kind of the first and foremost thing we address. And there are a lot of patients, clients that are coming in to readdress uh, either initiation or readdress MAT for those that have opioid addictions. But again, we have people that have alcohol addictions and methamphetamines, mm-hmm. but we're looking at them as an overall full person. So it's a it's a general medical clinic too. Um, I wouldn't say we're open to the public like other um, clinics that um, are managed and, and run by like the University of Utah or Intermountain um, or other organizations, um, but you know our main uh, focus and and drive and and uh, bringing on patients is through the addiction uh, process and, and treatments. Um, and 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 just recently, I mean, within the last what couple of years, uh, you're you're dealing very actively in harm reduction. Talk about harm reduction because. I, I think that ha- I think the general public may look down on harm reduction. You give you exchange a needle so you can so you can put a clean needle yeah. in your arm or that, give you a drug so you don't use this drug. Yeah, those are exactly those things. Um, you know, if recognizing that not everybody coming in is has stopped using, right? So, how do we reduce the harm with respect to what they're doing? For instance needle exchange, making sure they're using clean needles. It sounds funny that, that we're supporting that, but again, it's you've got to be ready to go through withdrawals, go through um, getting clean and, and your path towards sobriety. So in doing that, you know, safe needle use, meaning single, so needle exchange, and also just simply sterilizing the area where you're, where you're injecting. That's really important. And then having the opportunity to have medications that can manage the potential withdrawals that are going to go, you're, a, a patient's going to go through when they decide, hey, I'm going to quit. And again, I, I'm really focusing, MAT is really a focus for opioid 
um, treatment. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are different different things you do with, with uh, methamphetamine or alcohol use, of course. And, and that goes to counseling sessions and, and uh, things where they can talk through it with a group or one-on-one. Those are really important. I'm actually learning more about harm reduction with our team. So again, as uh, my experience personally is nothing, um, but my experience <laughs> as, as a medical provider and seeing it and seeing the needs, uh, I appreciate what they're doing in the clinic and focusing on things like harm reduction. I have a question for you. So you came from a, a huge organization, right, with a lot of different specialties. and Intermountain. Yeah, Intermountain mm-hmm. and um, like heart valve transplants and, and different things like that. And right. now you chose to come to a nonprofit in a specialized population. Mm-hmm. Why? Um, vulnerable population. Yeah. Um, and a need to uh, improve the care that's been given. Like I said, 2014 was a wake-up call. It was a wake-up call because we weren't doing very well. Um, Just because you go in a hospital, we don't know everything. And Mm -hmm. so um, kind of forcing ourselves to approach that and appreciate it and and try to um, rid ourselves of the stigma that goes with behavioral health issues, addictions. And so that became an interest. It seems like um, with all this stuff that you were saying with this team that you were creating, there was like this human side that was missing with the patients. No question. Yeah. Because I've I've talked to you about this before. When you walk into a room and somebody's in withdrawals, that's not them. It's almost like the demons are coming out. And if you can't deal with those demons uh, as a provider and understand it, you've lost. You're done. Um, And so as you say, that human side is gone. Um, And we have to have that when we manage patients. And if you don't, maybe it's time for somebody else. You, you, you're a doctor, and I, Rachel's known you longer than I have, but every conversation we've had, my observation is you're a doctor who really cares. Mm-hmm. I do, yeah. I, I mean, is that a human thing? Is that a doctor thing? I mean, what is it? I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's a feeling. I mean, you, you, sometimes you could say you either care or you don't. Um, but, but when you guys manage or, or you're talking to people, um, it, it helps to dive deep into what you're doing if you have that emotional connection that, that you really want to help. At the same time, you know, going back to Martindale and our, and our programs, there's so many people that have big hearts within Odyssey, for instance, and sometimes it's too big. Sometimes you, you enable you know, you, your heart's yeah. out there. You want to help That's so fair. much. Yeah. And some of these folks, when you help them, they've got to help themselves. I mean, I, I, I compare it to somebody who's, who's gotten into a hole and they need help climbing out. We can't, we can't put a, a gurney down there and lift them up. You just have to hold your hand out and say, are you ready? Are you ready to help yourself? Yeah. And then you help them. It's true. So, yeah. It's very true. How are things going? Um, with COVID. Mm. Tough, tough, because yeah. it has, so, so COVID brings on a whole new <laughs> challenge. Because For remember, yes, <laughs> um, hospitals, the world, everybody, businesses, um, when people are in recovery, we depend so much on so many aspects of their care, those one-on-one sessions, those group sessions, 
the structured nature of how they get through recovery and staying sober, whether it's in the outpatient or in the residential um, setting. But what's happened with us is when you are in, when people are in group settings, one person has it, it goes on to another and another. Not everybody with COVID is sick, but they can have either minor or major symptoms. What we've had to do is we've had to quarantine. We've had to take people out of their recovery and move them into a isolated situation. And that means in a room where they're no longer doing their one-on-ones or their groups. Mm -hmm. And so it really has stopped their ability to get treatment. Um, And I kind of compare it to what we do in the hospitals where, for instance, when I work in a hospital, I have to put um, personal protective equipment on every time I go on, Mm -hmm. go in, and every time I come out. Mm -hmm. And that takes time, takes effort and also protecting yourself and your staff so you spend less time. So very similar to hospitals, when people are in recovery, it delays what their primary focus in life is. Mm -hmm. So it's a challenge. Very much so. I mean, one of the things uh, that that I learned in in treatment was that you don't want to isolate Okay, yeah. and we and with COVID, we've used that word so much, so many times. You know, you've got to mm-hmm. isolate from this and isolate from that, and that's the opposite of of what helps with recovery. Correct. Right. That's absolutely true. And you know, more often than not, when you talk to somebody in recovery, they really appreciate the group um, sessions because they feel like then they're not alone. Right. When you're alone, then you start mm-hmm. feeling like I am less of a person. You get down on yourself. And then, not that we want to talk about this, but then suicide type things. Sure. You know, yeah. depression, anxiety, things that, that make them not continue in recovery. It's true. Like, and that outlet for us is going to be, our first idea is going to be the drug or the alcohol. So uh, what, what um, I've been doing is, is also, this it's also can be that opportunity. Okay, well, guess what? Like in life, there's going to be times where I, I always tell my clients, like there's this bag of sucks because in life, there's going to be times that it sucks. And so this is going to be that time. So you're going to put it in your bag of sucks. What are you going to do in life when something is challenging? This is going to be that time. So you have an opportunity to work through it. Like you are worthy and, and, and like powerful enough to get through this. So what are we going to do during this time? Mm-hmm. Like how do you push through a difficult time? I know that it's not easy, but you are definitely worth it and you can do this. So we're going to put it in our bag of socks and we're going to get through it for today. We'll make it to our pillow sober and we'll try again tomorrow. Yeah. So but, it's also like an opportunity as well. Let's talk about Matt, uh, because we we will administer uh, everything except methadone. And d- describe the philosophy behind that, because I touched on this before, like with with clean needles, and mm-hmm. people would say, "Now wait a minute, I'm I'm an opioid addict. I come in, and you give me a drug that does have opioids in it, mm-hmm. and how's that going to help me?" Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and again, it, it really is blocking the effects of opioids, so we're replacing. So you, you there are receptors in the body that. Um, that opioids work on to reduce pain and, and oftentimes give people a high. Um, and so what these replacements, so medical assisted treatment really is, is blocking those same receptors. So 
for instance, with um, Sublocade, which is a long-acting injection that lasts a month, or Suboxone, which is a daily uh, tablet people take, um, it works in the system by blocking those opioid receptors. So people don't get the high, but they also don't feel the negative effects of withdrawals because you're actually not only stimulating but blocking some effects. And the physiologic response is people don't feel that um, those withdrawals, that anxiousness, the sweatiness, the um, the desire um, to to start to use. I've heard people say that it's you feel like you're dying. Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. yeah. When you're withdrawing. So you so you mm-hmm. want to use again to get rid of that. Correct. Right. Right. Yeah. And so that's why titration, meaning either using higher doses or less doses, are really critical because if you start off with too little people are going to still have withdrawals, so they're not only getting an MAT, a medical-assisted treatment, but they're also actively withdrawing, and they're saying, I'm going to go out after, I, I need to go find something else. So they go seek out other prescriptions at emergency departments or clinics, mm-hmm. or they go on the street, right. and they find their opiates. And, you know, the danger now is that we're seeing, and it's been seeing, fentanyl as, as one of those opiates yeah. that, that is being combined with heroin. So now we have to deal with that one as well. So it's really the idea of MAT is blocking the receptors that cause that high, but also blocking the body's withdrawal response. So it's very effective if you get the right dosing. So do I have to be hooked on that for the rest of my life? Not necessarily. but Because withdrawing from that is the same as withdrawing from heroin, be. right? That's why start high, and when pa- patients are ready, you start to taper down, and that can be months to years, actually. Um, withdrawals from um, heroin or opiates can last for weeks to months to years. And so that's why it's very important to monitor and have follow-ups with each patient. How do we sell society? I, I still hear a lot of negative comments about Matt and, and needle exchanges. How do we sell people on the fact that this, this is helping and it's exposing people in addiction to the possibility of recovery? Um, I don't know if you can sell it to anybody. I think the that I, I it think works. it's really correct. I think it's more um, selling the dangers that are continuing with the continued use of um, either prescription drugs or street drugs that um, that can be dangerous. And so first you sell the dangers of continued addiction and use that mm-hmm. way. And then you sell the ability to get over that addiction and why, so they can get out of homelessness, so they can get into jobs and stay in those, so they can have a good family life. Um, So selling it is really saying this is an opportunity for you to um, get out of that street drug or or going into ERs and seeking and seeking, that, that these can be really helpful in a monitored situation where you have a supportive situation not only from a provider that prescribes, but also f- from people that are there to help you that have been there before and also groups that help you through it. So, um, you know, selling it, I, and you're right, Randall, how do you sell something that you're going to be on this the rest of your life? Not necessarily. Right. You know, again, it's, it's really committing. It's, I go back to that, you're in a hole, we're going to help you through this, are you willing to grab my hand? Are you willing to walk out of that? Um, on your own or with a lot of help. And this is just one aspect of the help. So selling is really your road to recovery when you're ready. 
when you're ready. I like that. I think that was well put. And, I, and as we all, all know, you have to be ready to recover, right? Right. And I think there's another side to that, too. The, the dangers as well as um, how we're using the drugs, right? So even at Martindale, um, hep C treatment, mm, the HIV, all the, all the things that come along with using as well, there's a lot more to it. So if you're in a monitored situation and getting treatment as well for other physical dangers that may have come along with it or that can still come along with it, right? If you're, if you can go into a space, a medical space and get your medical needs met and have the, um, have the opportunity to address things that you can't normally address without the stigma or the shame attached, Mm -hmm. it just, um, it can provide that, that healthcare that you normally can't get anywhere else, if that makes sense. Right, right. I think that's exactly right. Um, yeah, and, and again, going back to what Martindale offers is exactly that. There is no, it's the stigma is removed, and it's really just people um, holding out their hands and saying, we know what you got. you got to be honest with us, and we'll be honest with you, sure. and we'll move ahead with you with whatever you want to do. And here's what's available. You know, um, we talk about, you know, family life and, and infections and, and pregnancies, those all come with living. And, you know, they can be very dangerous when people are actively using. And I think that sometimes is a very important um, motivating factor, especially like women who become pregnant. All of a sudden, I'm going to have to take care of this child. Um, am I able to? Is the, are the, is the state going to enable me to if I'm in prison and I'm coming out, for instance? So these are big psychosocial things that we have to address as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then behavioral health pieces are really critical because sometimes the behavioral health issues lead to addictions, and it's part of it. Addiction is sometimes thought of as separate from behavioral health issues, but I think they're Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. and, and totally. There's no question about it. I'm curious, uh, before you got into all this, how many people how many people in addiction or recovery did you know? And now that you've met people in recovery, what's your thought about, not necessarily Rachel and me, but people in recovery who were addicted to a substance? Personally, I mean, I mean, when when I started and, and I was no different than all the other providers that were seeing people. And again, it wasn't 2014. We always in medicine will see people who come in with alcohol withdrawals. But right. somehow, you know, once street drugs go through these popularity things. And so when you see them in the in the hospitals, we're just not equipped or educated enough. And it's really sometimes individual or. Uh, groups that decide, hey, we need to be um, educated, educate yourself or get in groups and, and have um, continue, continuous medical education activities. But oftentimes, as a physician, it's your choice. But again, is it, should it be part of our education? Absolutely, you know, with what we're seeing now. Um, so my experience was not very, not very broad. Now it's getting a lot more broad. <laughs> and do I think any differently? No. I mean, like I said, look at very um, uh, successful people have addictions that they live with, and it's the demons they go home with and and thinking about, can I keep my job? Can I be a good father or mother? You deal with those. And so these are 
these people are extremely intelligent a lot of times, motivated, can be successful or already are, but they know that their habit is, their addiction is eventually going to catch up with them. I think they recognize it. So, um, and I'm seeing that too. You know, look at the two of you. Yeah, Extremely hard. successful. And, and what, thank you. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, but, it, but it takes a lot of hard work to, mm-hmm. to climb out of that. Um, so, and I, I, I look back, we only have a couple minutes left, is, is the whole reason Odyssey started is because a doctor slash lawyer, Judy Ann Denson uh, Gerber, uh, she was working in, in, as in, in, she was doing a residency in a, in a heroin addict ward in, in, in a New York City charity hospital mm-hmm. uh, back in the 60s. And what they did is they picked people off the street, take them into that ward, and then sedate them through the period when they would get dope sick, their withdrawal, and then as soon as they were as soon as they were awake and okay and not sick, they put them back out on the street. You know, mm-hmm. and that's that's why she started Odyssey. We've come a long way since then. Right. Think about that. Yeah, indeed. And it's funny. I can compare. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put myself on that level with uh, with her, but in a similar fashion, it's sometimes what we were doing with these patients that would come in had addictions and infections. It's like treat them and then send them out somewhere in supportive ways. We always in hospitals look at safe transitions. Right. And the places that we could send them were not safe and we weren't giving them good care because what you forget about is the addiction. It's always there. Um, so the addiction, we're, well, yeah. we're all learning, right? Yeah. Uh, years ago, Odyssey House would not have accepted medication-assisted treatment. Mm-hmm. It was a total sobriety program. Right. Yep. And, right. and now we, we deal with it, and we do, you know, needle. Ex- we do harm reduction at the Martindale Clinic, and we accept right. those things. So right, right. Exactly. We're all learning. Here we are, day by day. I'm learning. Humbles me every day. Yeah, we are so glad to have you on staff, and thank you very much yeah. for being part of this podcast. Um, Martindale Clinic is I don't know the address. It's on 300 South, just uh, east of 700. 700 East. 745 East, 300 South. Oh, you got it. Anyway. 801-428-3500. Wow. Nice. Good. You couldn't have done that 20 years ago in your addiction. Oh, no. No. <laughs> Thank you very much, Dr. Mayor. My pleasure. Thank uh, you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, And Linda. thank you. I wonder where... We'll find out next week where people were watching this. Do you have any relatives in any city here in... In, in Utah or I somewhere? I do not. My, my roots are still back back east. Where? Ooh. St. Louis, Missouri. All right, St. Louis. Let's find out if we can get any viewers or listeners there. <laughs> Thank you very much for watching another edition of Odyssey House Journals.